Hello and welcome to Family Renewal. I'm Israel Wayne, your host. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as we take a look at faith, family, and culture, all through the lenses of a biblical worldview. This program is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. Well, we are really glad that you have joined us today for our premiere broadcast of our first podcast of Family Renewal. And I'm really excited to be able to bring this show to you. And one of the things that I'm enjoying about our new organization, Family Renewal, is the opportunity to do projects like this, but more importantly, to be able to do them together with my wife, Brooke, who is my lovely co-host for this broadcast. And so, Brooke, it's great to be able to have you join me for this project. Well, thank you, Israel. We're so glad you joined us. We're very glad to have you here. We're looking forward to the coming year as we share our hearts and lives about family life, about walking with the Lord, about thinking and living biblically. We've named this ministry Family Renewal. And Israel, I would like you to share with our listeners a little bit about what that means. What needs renewing in the family? Well, when you look at the American culture, it seems like there's been a great breakdown of the family. Uh, We know that as Christians, we have an enemy of our souls, and one of the things that he does is he comes, well, he comes to do three things, to kill, steal, and destroy. And the destruction of the family is something we're seeing everywhere. Uh, Divorce is rampant, teenage rebellion, just the breakdown of not just the family unit, but of society. And we believe that God's heart is to restore individuals, families, churches, and nations to follow his ways. In Luke one seventeen, it says that God wants to turn the hearts of fathers to the children and children to the fathers. And he's doing that for two reasons, to turn the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, but also to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And so that's our vision with family renewal, is we want to help see a generation of people who are turned from wickedness and disobedience to the wisdom of the righteous and to see a people prepared for the Lord. So that's what we're hoping to accomplish through Family Renewal. Now, Family Renewal began in July of 2013, but you've been speaking for years, Israel. I'd like to hear about when and how you started speaking. Well, I started working in Christian publishing in January of 1993, so it's been a little over 20 years for me that I've been serving in that capacity. My mother, Skeet Savage, was the founder of the Christian publishing company Wisdom's Gate Ministries, and in 1988, she started publishing the national magazine Homeschool Digest, which is the nation's longest-running Christian homeschooling magazine, and I started writing a regular column in that publication back in 1994. And then in 1995, I began doing conference speaking uh, because she had spoken at a lot of homeschooling conferences. And I was one of the only homeschooling graduates at that time. I graduated from homeschooling in 1991. And so a lot of conferences were interested in having me come and talk to teenagers doing teen tracks or to be part of a homeschool graduate panel or something like that. And then over time, I began just doing more presentations for parents as opposed to teenagers, kind of giving them my perspective as a homeschooled student, someone who had been homeschooled and lived to tell about it. And then 
I wrote a book in 2000 called Homeschooling from a Biblical Worldview, which gave my perspective as a homeschooled student, as a homeschool graduate, kind of looking back on my education and kind of giving a biblical philosophy of education, an apologetic, if you will, for why Christian education is so important and so necessary, and then how to use homeschooling as a means or mechanism for being able to transfer a biblical worldview to your children. And then, of course, you and I met through publishing. Uh, You were publishing your magazine, Kindred Spirits, at that time, and then you began writing for my mother's women's magazine, which is called An Encouraging Word. And uh, why don't you tell them a little bit about uh, Kindred Spirits, how you got started doing that project? Well, that was a project I started mostly because I was looking for friends to share about life and about faith. And I was finding that as, um, you know, girls reach the teenage years, that there was a lot of discussion about boys and fashion. And I was not into that. I really wanted to find some girls who were serious about life. And so that's how I started writing to girls and uh, trying to be an encouragement in that area. Myself looking for friends at the time as well. And that's how Israel and I met. I met. That's how Israel and I met. And today we have almost on the way eight children. And so we've had 15 years of happiness and bliss and a lot of growing together. We've loved every minute of it and we're excited to be able to uh, be introducing here a new book that Israel has just published. We're excited to be introducing in February of 2014 a new book Israel has just written called Questions God Asks. What kind of questions would God ask? Well, the motivation behind that book came from some study that I'd been doing in the Bible where I recognized that there were many times in the Bible where God asked people questions. For example, he asked Adam, where are you? And he asked Abraham, where is your wife? And he asked Sarah, why did you laugh? And he asked Elijah in the cave, what are you doing here? And he asked Moses, what is in your hand? And he asked Jacob, what is your name? And he asked Cain, where is your brother? And why are you so angry? And he asked Jonah, do you have a right to be angry? And he asked Joshua, why are you on your face? There are just so many of these questions that I saw in the Old Testament. And one of the things that intrigued me about that is that one of the doctrines we know about God is that God is omniscient. That means he knows everything. And it dawned on me that it seems kind of odd for an omniscient God who knows everything to ask a question. So if a God who knows everything is asking a question, then who is that question for? It's obviously not for God's benefit. So it's obviously for the person who's being asked the question. And then what I wonder is, well, what is it that God is wanting them to know or to understand or to open up within themselves regarding their assumptions and presuppositions and their worldview? And so I started to probe some of those questions, and I also realized that since these questions were recorded in the sacred text and were left for us, that they must have an application for us as well. So What are those questions intended to reveal about us and about our assumptions, about our relationship with God and our relationship with others? And so that book has been a really fascinating project for me. I've been writing it for a number of years now, taking it chapter by chapter. And some of those chapters I've literally spent weeks and months just pouring over the text and 
trying to look and see what's there and to really understand the dynamic behind the question. So I'm really excited about that project being released in February of 2014. We've partnered with Masterbooks on that, and uh, we are done our part, essentially. They have the book manuscript, and they're uh, doing a fabulous job on pulling that together. We're really excited about being able to uh, partner with them. So this book's going to be a little bit of a divergence for me. I'm going to be taking a little different path than what I have in the past, with homeschooling from a biblical worldview. And then my second book was actually on Christian parenting. So those two books kind of dovetailed together. Uh, The second book was called Full-Time Parenting, A Guide to Family-Based Discipleship, which maybe we can talk about a little bit as well. But this book is going to be more of a mass general Christian title that I actually hope will have some appeal uh, and crossover even into the secular marketplace as well. It's a book that I would like even non-Christians, to be able to uh, take a look at. I think that just about everybody's going to find it to be an interesting read. At least I hope so. Well, your second book, Full-Time Parenting, sounds a lot like our home. We've been full-time parenting here for nearly um, 14 years. Our oldest is going on 14, all the way down to two, and our lives are so busy. I know every one of you who has children knows what I'm talking about. Even with one or two children, life is busy. Those little minds are growing, and they're learning, and you're dealing with attitudes, and you're dealing with introducing them to the world and life and giving them life skills, besides teaching academics if you homeschool. And Israel, I'm just kind of curious, What is it that you cover in this book, Full-Time Parenting? How do you expect parents to be there constantly for their children? Well, I guess, first of all, back up a little bit and explain why I wrote the book. As I mentioned at the beginning of this broadcast, we see a lot of dysfunction in terms of the family within America. And I started to do some research on that, try to find out what was going wrong. And one of the things that I discovered is that the average school student today spends probably about seven and a half to eight and a half hours every day in a school classroom that counts a little bit of travel to and from. But then in addition to seven and a half to eight and a half hours a day in school, they also are receiving about seven and a half hours in a time block of multimedia. But actually, it's more like 10 and a half hours a day of information download that's compressed into a seven and a half hour time block because of multitasking. So these young people are watching television, but they're also texting their friends or they're on Facebook, but they're listening to their iPods. And so you're talking about the equivalent of about 15 hours a day that they're receiving information. They're receiving some kind of instruction, some kind of doctrine And the question is, what kind of doctrine is it? In most cases, at least with 80% of evangelical Christians, their young people are receiving a very anti-Christian indoctrination, indoctrination into a secular humanist ideology of life. And so I started to say, well, where are the parents in all of this? And ask that question. And I found that parents are, on average now, because most parents are uh, working. Both parents are out of the home in a career. So for mo- mothers and fathers now, the average interaction between parent and child is only 19 minutes per day. And my assumption is that much of that interaction is 
related to questions like, have you done your homework yet? And what time is soccer practice? And what time will you be home? And don't forget to you know, do this chore before you leave, that kind of thing. It's not necessarily spiritual instruction. So the church has been the source that I think parents have looked to to say we need to have the church rehabilitate our children, make sure that the church is giving them Christian instruction. So parents are assuming that 15 hours a day, day after day after day, uh, somewhere around almost 30,000 hours of information between schooling and multimedia that their children will receive between the kindergarten and 12th grade years, that an hour of VeggieTales on Sunday is going to fix that and is going to counterbalance it and give their child a biblical worldview and teach them to know and love God. It's just not working. I mean, the statistics are showing us that anywhere from 60 to 88% of all Christian church youth are leaving the church somewhere around or before their freshman year of college with no intent to come back. And these parents are just at a loss to know how to deal with this. And so with full-time parenting, I wanted to engage Christian parents on that issue and say, if you have a hope or you have an expectation that you want your children to know, love, and serve God and love and serve other people, then you are going to have to take responsibility to be the parent. You're going to have to be the ones who are discipling your children. You're going to have to take that responsibility because God hasn't given that responsibility to anyone but you. And while you may find people who can come alongside you, particularly in the church, to supplement what you're doing, at the end of the day, this is your job. And so I'm encouraging parents to be the parent, to be as engaged as they possibly can with their children. And so far, the book has been really well received. So I tried to come up with a mix with the book to include both the big picture of parenting, what is a biblical theology of the family and of parenting, but then also to be practical with it and address a lot of practical issues as well. I mean, we have a chapter in there that you wrote on living with a single income. We have a chapter on dealing with multimedia and how to be parents in a high-tech world. Uh, We have a chapter in there for single parents that my mother wrote and Uh, We have one on helping the hyperactive child. I have one chapter in there that's called How I Taught My Children to Sit Still and Be Quiet. So I think I've sold more books from that chapter than anything else that I've written. Yeah, but uh, but that's a lot to live up for me. I cringe whenever that title comes up. You know, Israel's mother taught me some precious lessons when I was learning what it meant to be a mother, and I'm still learning. We're very much in process as a family, so don't watch us too closely. Yeah, well, it's it's only awkward if we happen to visit somebody's church and they've read the book and our children aren't sitting still and being quiet. You know, that, that's the only time it's a problem. But Anyway, I want to tell you what Israel's mother taught me. She said you spend the first year or two teaching your children how to talk and how to walk, and it's such a precious time in life when those little toddlers catch on to those things you're saying and they take their first steps. Then you spend the next 18 years or so teaching them to be quiet and how to sit still. So I always laugh at that. But frankly, that is a subject that has come up a lot. And the title of this book is also, uh, subtitle is A Family Guide to Discipleship. 
Start. The subtitle is? The subtitle is A Guide to Family Discipleship. And obviously, we're still in process. We're still learning. These are things that we have learned from sweat and tears and mostly from the Bible, a lot of times from other mentors. families, yeah. mentors. Other people that we've watched and that we've learned from, people who know what they're doing. Uh, actually, the chapter called How I Taught My Children to Sit Still and Be Quiet is actually not about child training. I do have a chapter in there on that, but it's actually on family worship. Um, because what we do is we try to gather every morning for about a half an hour or so with our children, and we read the scripture, and we discuss it, we talk about it, we have our personal family Bible time, family devotions, whatever you want to call it, family worship, and it's a way for us to systematically teach our children the scriptures, but in the midst of doing that, as a side byproduct, I guess you'd call it, is training our children. And so we hold them on our lap when they're little, you know, before they're toddlers. When they're little babies, they just get used to sitting there for a half an hour or an hour. And then when they get to be toddlers, they want to crawl off your lap and go crawl on the floor and get down and play with toys or something. And um, that's when we uh, teach them. We hold them on our lap and, and hold them still and tell them no and encourage them to sit still and be quiet. And what's interesting is that it takes a while, but they get used to it. And then before long, and they can sit. My expectation is that by the time a child is three years old, he or she can completely sit through a service without having to be taken out. This Bible time, and we have ours in the morning, but obviously it's it's kind of a something a lot of families just have to find. When does it work? This has been one of the most important things we have done for our family. It has uh, brought really tremendous fruit, and we're really grateful for um, the people who have encouraged us to start that with our family. It sounds insurmountable. Sometimes it sounds like it'd be hard to bring children in who maybe are used to cartoons or who need a lot of, um, you know, maybe have attention deficit order. And we're just really wanting to encourage families. This has been the best thing our family has done. We've had uh, lots and lots of times where we're interrupted, when the lesson tends to turn to, okay, we need to talk about somebody's attitude or or somebody wants to bring up something that is totally unrelated. We've had to deal with a lot of things like that. But over the course of years, we have eventually made progress where our children are starting to catch on. And they'll say, hey, I remember that Bible story. Now, to give you a little hint about how slowly our family goes, we started about four and a half years ago in Genesis. Where are we today? We're in Second Peter, somewhere oh. around Second Peter one and a half. So we take some time. We just read a verse, a chapter is our goal. Sometimes we've had to go over the same chapter because nobody listened, and our our time sometimes even turn into um, kind of an educational turn where we get graph paper out and draw things out for the children, or get Bible atlases or concordances or commentaries or dictionaries. We actually had our Webster's 1828 Dictionary out yesterday morning looking up some of the words that Peter uses when he says, add to your faith knowledge and to knowledge virtue and 
to virtue, brotherly affection, and so forth. I'm getting them out of sequence. But we looked up some of those words in Webster's 1828 Dictionary and talked about them. What does this mean? And what does this look like? And what would this look like in our life? And so we use a lot of supplementary resources as well just to help our children really understand it. We don't just want to read the scripture, but we really want to understand it. We want to know what it means. So yeah, this has been just a a huge benefit for our family. It's been a way to really delve into talking to each other, talking to our children, talking about the things that matter instead of letting life overwhelm us with just the busyness that happens all the time when you're raising children. Well, I think it's interesting you bring up the busyness aspect, that if you ask these parents why they only spend 19 minutes a day with their child, I think almost any of them will tell you it's because we're too busy. We just don't have enough time to spend with our children. But the fact of the matter is that these same parents who spend 19 minutes a day with their children those same parents are spending two and a half hours every night watching television. So it really isn't a matter of not having the time. It's a matter of misplaced priorities because what I find is that we tend to find the time to do the things that are really important to us. We find the money to buy the things that are important to us and the time to spend on our hobbies or whatever we think is vital And so the issue is really not so much a matter of parents not having time. It's just that they haven't made their children a priority. So the fact is, if you're going to be a full-time parent, then you're going to have to say no to some things. Um, Our goal as parents is we don't want to say no to our children. We want to say no to some other things. And not that those things are necessarily inherently bad, but sometimes even a good thing can become the enemy of the best. Well, one of the things the Lord convicted me of several years ago was that even though I was with my children 24-7, that I sometimes wasn't truly there, if you can catch what I mean. I wasn't there connecting with them. I wasn't there having, um, you know, looking for ways to bless them or to teach them and train them. It was kind of like I just got caught up in changing the diapers and making sure dinner was on and making sure that the child had their lesson. I wasn't getting a heart-to-heart connection And that's an area where I have found, um, you know, our Bible time really helps me to slow down the pace and connect with each one. What's some other ways that parents can connect with their children? I think having conversations that count is a big one. Um, In addition to Bible time, we also try to read stories aloud as a family. If we ever have a family movie night, we try to talk about what we've watched and Also to talk about some of the moral lessons that are included in the stories that we're reading. Or Another thing I I think is the scripture talks about in Deuteronomy 6 that you teach your children as you walk by the way. So even as we're going about the task of doing daily chores or stacking firewood or collecting chicken eggs or whatever it is that we're about during the day, we find opportunities to talk with our children about the things of the Lord and about what's really important. And so we were reading this morning in First Peter about how uh, Peter says that uh, you can be short-sighted, uh, nearsighted, and blind, he says. And so we talked about that issue of being nearsighted, and I was explaining to the children how sometimes you can get so caught up with what's right in front of you that you don't look down the road, you don't see the big picture, you don't think about what God has planned for you or for your family five years, ten years uh, and so, and, and that's not having some kind of a, 
life where everything's all mapped out in some neat and tidy five-year, 10-year plan. That's not what I'm referring to, but I'm saying we need to have a larger vision and not just get so caught up with the micro details of living that we forget to actually teach our children about the big picture. One thing that I've had to do is actually make a little notebook with um, leading questions. You know, questions that don't make a child feel that they're on the spot or that you're delving into their inside person and so forth, but questions that kind of help help get a conversation going. And as a tired mama sometimes, or as too much is going on, or life is so busy, I need a little helper. So I write down these questions in a notebook that I can refer to. And a lot of times um, I can use, just pull those out at a moment's notice and go, oh yes, I wanted to you know, ask my child just, just different things they're thinking about. Or what did you think about this book that we're reading? What did you think about how the girl acted in, at this part? Yeah, you know, another thing that we haven't really talked about yet is that we have done a lot of teaching, not just in books and magazines, but through events as well. And as far as traveling as a family, that becomes difficult because we do have seven children, soon to be eight. And so traveling as a family is a very difficult uh, scenario. But um, we have done a lot of seminars over the years where we have taught families on preparing for marriage. You and I have done some marriage seminars together. Um, We've taught on topics like helping the hyperactive child and homeschooling. I've spoken to a lot of homeschooling support groups and homeschool conventions. Uh, We've also spoken to a lot of churches on the topic of revival, discipleship, spiritual disciplines, Christian growth. One of the passions that I have that I I love studying and teaching is on the topic of Christian apologetics, defending the Christian faith and teaching uh, both parents and youth how to know that their beliefs are true. You know, what, how do you, how can you know what is true? How can you know the Bible is true? How can you defend the Christian faith? Those are important questions. And so we do a lot of um, speaking at events too. We were reading in First Peter this morning how Peter was saying that as Christians we can be short-sighted and blind, and I was explaining to the children that I think sometimes we can get so caught up in the temporal and the things that are right in front of us that we don't think about the big picture. We don't think about the fact that God has a big macro plan for the kingdom, his kingdom, but also for our lives and our involvement in that. And so I feel like as families, sometimes we do just get so caught up in just the details of life and trying to keep our frantic schedules going. And sometimes we miss those really important things like connecting with our child's heart and relationships with each other mm-hmm. and reaching out and serving other people in love and uh, what what God's purpose and plan is for us and where we fit into his kingdom. I, I just think we miss that sometimes. Yeah, one of the scr- struggles I've had is really being able to connect with our children through the busyness of the day when I'm thinking about what to make for dinner and when am I going to need to check on the garden or so forth. And uh, keeping a list of questions has really helped me. It's just a little practical tip I learned from somebody about just finding ways to connect with your child and ask leading questions. Uh, Not the kind of questions that make them feel uncomfortable or make them want to shy away like you're delving into their inside person, but just leading questions that say, hey, what did you think about this? What did you think about the character in the book that we're reading? Or what did you, um, what would you want to do if you had 
a day off, you know, just questions to get there, get them talking, get those children talking. Denny Keniston had a great quote years ago that said something to the effect of, if you want your teenager to talk to you, let them talk your ear off when they're five years old. You'll hear about everything they think about when they're five. So if you want them to talk when they're 15, get them to talk now when they're young. One of the things that we haven't really talked about much is what we do in terms of our events. We do more than just writing in books and magazines, but we also do seminars and conferences. I've done a lot of homeschooling conventions over the years, spoken at homeschooling support groups, but we also speak to groups on the topic of preparing for marriage. We've talked about that together. Marriage seminars that you and I have done. Yeah, Uh, We've done a lot of uh, parenting seminars. And then I also um, talk with groups about Christian apologetics, about defending the Christian faith. I think that's important for both parents and young people to know what they believe and why their beliefs are true, to know questions like, how can I know what is true? How do I know the Bible is true? How can I defend the Christian faith? Those are areas that I think are areas of weakness within the church, and we need to know what makes our belief system true. And another holy book, so to speak, a book like the Quran or the writings of Confucius or Buddha or the Book of Mormon or some of these other books, what what makes the Bible the Word of God and not some of these other books that claim to be? Um, those are things that I think a lot of young people are not really equipped to know how to answer. And so that's part of what is all under the umbrella of family renewal. It's part of what we're trying to do is to help equip individuals to equip the church, to equip the family, to equip parents, to disciple their own children, all of that to fulfill that Luke one seventeen mandate of making ready a people prepared for the Lord. We're looking forward to meeting many of you at the conventions and conferences next year, or churches. Yeah, or online. Oh yeah, that's great. Join us at familyrenewal.org. Familyrenewal.org is our website, but when you get there, you can also find ways to connect with us on social media. Like Facebook. Or Twitter. Or Pinterest. Or LinkedIn. Or any number of other ways that you would like to connect with us. We would love to stay connected with your family Uh, on Facebook. Look me up at Facebook forward slash Family Renewal. Or my personal page is facebook.com forward slash Israel.Wayne, uh, or facebook.com forward slash Israel Wayne author. That's my author page. And so we have lots of different ways of being able to connect with you. My Twitter account is at Israel Wayne. And uh, Brooke's got some writing projects in the works too. She's going to be coming out with a book or two in the next few years. But right now, we're full time parents and she's a full time mom. And so Uh, Some of those projects come slowly, but we're really glad that you've joined us for this broadcast, our first edition of the Family Renewal Podcast. We're looking forward to doing this on a monthly basis, at least once a month, and uh, as time goes on here, we may increase this to twice a month, once every other week, and so we hope that you'll continue to join us online, you'll tell your friends about it, and we hope to do some live broadcasts where we can take some of your questions, where you can call in and also where we can have guests on the show and interview some of our friends. So we're really looking forward to that as well. Well, join us for the next podcast, December 10th, 2013 at 7 p.m. We're looking forward to seeing you then. Thank you very much. God bless you.